Welcome to The Waggle, the official podcast of the Canadian Football League. Welcome, welcome, welcome to The Waggle, podcast brought to you by us here at the CFL and CFL.ca and me, Donovan Bennett. And it is a international, a global, if you will, edition of the podcast as we're talking all things global draft. And not only did it recently happen, but also there was lots of talk online about it. I love the fact that we're having football conversations once again. And speaking of those conversations, we are going to talk to Greg Quick, who was the director of global scouting for the CFL and really was at the forefront of the league's global initiative. Now he's working with the Alouettes as a defensive and special teams coach and a personnel assistant. He's really leading their draft room in terms of who they should be selecting because he has intel on all of that great talent. Speaking of that great talent, if you go to CFL.ca, uh, we highlight what was a punter-heavy global draft. You can look at the highlights of Jake Ford uh, from his time playing. Also, Marshall Ferguson has a feature on the diversity that you see within the global players. But no one really can highlight that diversity better than the guy who found the players for the league in the first place, then helped the Alouettes find their global players, Greg Quick. That conversation up next on The Way. So I know based off of just looking online and you know seeing things anecdotally, people were really excited about the global draft this year. And I think we're just excited to talk about football in general, no matter what country the players come from. Well, a man who's been looking at these players for a long time and is excited about all things football, and nonetheless excited about the global draft, is Greg Quick. And Greg, thank you for joining us. And and let's just start there with the global draft that recently happened. Uh, the Alouettes were able to uh, secure some really nice talent. W what do you make of this crop of players in comparison to what you've seen in the past? Sure. Donovan, first of all, thank you. I enjoy being here and I appreciate the opportunity to, to join you and have a little conversation. You're right. I think the global draft has created hope, right? That, uh, <laughs> There's some football on the horizon that if we have a draft, it must mean that there's some football coming. So I think we're all excited about that. And part of that excitement comes, I believe, from the quality of this draft. You know, I love the conversation that's been spurred by this. You know, it's been a catalyst for a lot of conversation. And you love to hear the opposing sides of the debate. And anytime we can create a debate in sport, it creates an interest, it creates a buzz, uh, and I think it's the talent. If there was no talent in their class, there'd be no buzz. And so I be really believe that this class uh, is an improvement over the first class, which was started very quickly uh, uh, to bring the strategy into place. But over the, the persistence of the people in the CFL office, the persistence of the personnel staff on each of the clubs has allowed this talent to come forward, as well as the cooperation of uh, the partners around the world. Uh, but it's a good class. It's uh, strong in three areas. One, I, I think you're looking for elite players. So I think there's some players that can have an immediate impact in the CFL. And you're also looking for those players that are going to contribute. Uh, and, you know, 
really assume a role. What, what we don't want, what I don't think we have this year, Donovan, there are no national anthem singers. And by that, I mean this. <laughs> they stand on the sideline, they sing the national anthem, and they go sit on the bench. I think the guys that will be in the CFL in 2021 that are part of the global strategy are going to be guys that play, guys that have an impact, guys that contribute. So I guess that's my strongest feeling about this class is there's no singers in this class. These are all players. Well, and part of the debate you mentioned when you know, CFL 2.0 was was first imagined was, you know, if you do have national anthem singers, that's really hard to carry in the CFL with, you know, smaller rosters and with so many guys having to have an impact on special team and, and you know, the attrition that you have throughout a longer season with games that come fast and furious. And so there's a balance of wanting to grow the game, grow the profile of the sport and, and go international, but do it in a way that makes sure that the product it doesn't dip. You know, a lot of the buzz this year was not even just the amount of kickers that were taken specifically from Australia, but how early they were taken, four in the first round, and you guys took one in the first round as well. Break down for me that selection and and who you took that you really think are going to be impact players in the league. Well, first of all, our first pick, you know, we took Joe Zima. And there's been debate, and it's been lively debate about you know, kickers and punters, uh, you know, four of them in the first round, the first pick. But, you know, I think it's important for people to realize that in the last five Grey Cups, the, they've had punters that have averaged nearly 45 yards of punt, and they've had field goal kickers that are kicking over 87% on field goals. So these players have impact on the success of teams. You think about the, the offensive nature of the CFL right now. And field position is so important. And one of the ways that a defense has an opportunity to slow down an offense in this league is with field position. And these guys can kick the ball. Joe Zima kicked over 31 balls, over 50 yards in a season. So he can boom it. You know, when I think about, just think how dramatic it could be if we're sitting in the Eastern Finals and Joe Zemo gets off a 65-yard rouge, right, that wins the football game for us or puts it into overtime. Uh, that's the impact beyond directional kicking and field position and those things in the standard part of the game. I think the, the maintenance of the rugby-type rules that makes the Canadian game unique, these punters that we've brought into the league are, have the skills, have the foot skills to maximize those rugby uh, intricacies of the game that are unique to the Canadian game. So we're really excited about Joe. We think he, you know, he's just can be a phenomenal talent, and uh, he, we're really excited about him. You know, Akio at linebacker. Uh, there were several good linebackers in this draft. The interesting thing about Akio is he's played on six different championship teams. At every level, he's been recognized. He was an all-league, all-Japanese linebacker in high school, all-Japanese linebacker in college. In fact, he was named MVP of all the college players in Japan, basically the, the equivalent to the Heisman in the States. Uh, he won it, the only linebacker ever to win that award. 
So we're really excited about him because you're looking for those guys that not only play, but you want those four-team special team players, the ones that can show up and play on the four teams. Uh, and the same thing is true of, uh, of William James. He's the same type of player. He can have an impact in special teams that's really special. And, of course, a lot of people know that, that Tack Lee is one of my favorites. When we saw him in person in Japan, we got excited. And uh, we think when he comes off the, uh, the pathway program in the NFL, we have a chance to bring him in. He's made for the CFL back. He can get out of the box. He can catch. Uh, he can do things in space. The big field is only going to magnify his skills. I'm so excited uh, you know, about what he can do as well. And you know, I'd just like to share one thing, Donovan, that's so important when you look at the guys like William James and Akio and uh, those players that were picked in the draft for special teams um, that are going to play in these four teams, what they do. You know, there's there's load contribution. These players are going to contribute. If they play in all four special teams, they're going to contribute over 2,000 reps to the team during the year. That's practice and games. But the other part of it is it's load conservation because somebody else was playing that position before. Maybe it was a starting DB that had to play on two special teams. Now you're going to conserve his load in games and in practice up to 540 reps. So you're looking at 2,500 reps gained by one, one of these players. So you wonder why did they draft, you know, the third pick, Marul, less in the first round. Why did we pick, you know, Akil? Why did we pick William James? Why are those players being picked? From a, a roster management, a cap management, and a load management situation, they give us a great advantage. It's going to make our game better. It's going to make it richer. So as you said, we're really excited about the four guys that we got. But, you know, myself, I took a probably a special interest. You know, I, you know Greg Dick and Ryan Jansen and Lawrence Hopper and I, we went around the world one and a half times looking for these players. And so it's really exciting to see the future. And I'm just like the fans. I can't wait for football to start in 2021. You know, there's so much good stuff there that I want to follow up on. Let's start with the kickers because you mentioned the buzz. And a lot of the buzz was well, what is going on down south in Australia? How and why are we seeing so many kickers being taken coming out of, you know, that country? And if you've been paying attention to, you know, football for a while, specifically in the NCAA, you know, you would know that there are a lot of Australian kickers making the transition uh, to the CFL game. And we've, we've seen it in, in the CFL as well. When you talk about players who formerly played not just soccer, but but Aussie rules football, and the importance to be able to, you know, not just place kick or not just punt, but be able to do everything. What is the value for, for a football team when you have a kicker that can take care of everything and you're only carrying one kicker on, on a game day? Well, I think it's huge. I, you know, and I think if you, that's why the number one pick, right, BC, I mean, it's uh, – what I was really happy and proud of, as a part of the CFL was I thought all of our, our personnel staffs and coaches and GMs did a wonderful job in their selections. When you look at who they picked, you can tell right away what was their strategy, what are they trying to accomplish. And, you know, BC in the first pick and then later with a backup to that, you know, somebody can do all four. 
So that's one roster spot. But what does that do? Because of ratios, it now gives you, let's say you had a an American or a Canadian before handling that spot, or maybe you had a Canadian and an American or two Canadian. Those people now become available for the general roster. Also, it's going to save you on the cap. And so if you have a guy that can do all three and you don't have to have two spots delegated, you're going to save a sizable amount on your cap, which is now you saw in free agency some of the best players in a league. You know, the, the wealth in the league got redistributed this year during free agency. And some of that came at great expense to some teams, even in the time where we're trying to restrict budgets. But some of those came at great expense. So if you have a, a starting punter or a starting kicker right now that's, uh, that's global, it's going to save on the cap. And that's going to allow you to pay those elite players that are going to drastically change the game as well. So you have a player that's at the elite level. These kickers and punters uh, are all elite. Um, for example, Zima, he would be in the top 20% of all the punters in the last five years in the CFL, as far as directional and distance kicking. In the top 20%, he is an elite kicker. When you look at the guys that came in that do all three, they're, they're able to, their kickoffs are gonna be phenomenal. Biggest difference, so many of the guys that do all three can punt and kick field goals, but they don't always have the strongest kickoff leg. These guys have strength and they have great accuracy, whether they're kickers or punters. And uh, that's the interesting thing. Where we oftentimes grow up shooting a basketball or throwing a baseball or even sometimes kicking us, these guys have grown up throwing a ball, basically throwing the ball with their feet within the game that they played in the, in the Aussie rules or, or in rugby. So that the talent level is just unbelievable. And it's, it's, there's great strategy being utilized by the teams to maximize in their roster construction, in their cap, and then in the ratio and how we can maximize all those things. And the strategies are going to be neat. I can't even talk about all the different strategies because I'd be giving uh, some intellectual property of the outlets <laughs> away. Nor would I want to give away the strategy of the other guys that I've talked to during this process. Um, so uh, it's a uh, it's exciting, and once the season starts to unfold, you're going to see some exciting things happen because of the addition of this talent. You know, I've said this on this podcast before. I've said this, you know, at nauseum to people like you before, but I'm going to say it again. I strongly believe the toughest executive job in sports is being a CFL general manager, you know, college scout, whatever executive title you, you want to, to go down to, it's the most difficult in the CFL for one reason, and that is you are evaluating talent in all different scenarios across the world. NCAA players that may not make it uh, into the NFL, NFL players that get cut, NFL players on the back end of their career that are a bit older, players currently in the CFL, both young and old, and then now you throw another wrinkle and it's the global players. And you're looking at all of this different talent and figuring out how does it fit on your roster, in your league, in a sport that's rapidly evolving, and that is the CFL in terms of the systems that are being utilized. And so I say all that to say, 
What are the differences? What are some of the things, whether it's cultural or rules-based or experience-based, that you factor in when you're looking at an NCAA prospect relative to uh, self-scouting the players on your team or other teams in the league relative to a kid in the Canadian uh, entry draft coming out of uh, an NCAA school or a, a CIS school relative to a global player. What are the different things that, that you have to make part of your process when you're evaluating talent from such vast scenarios? Well, you know, Donovan, do you play chess? <laughs> uh, not well. But yes. Okay. But you understand that flat board, right? Yes, well, I do. You know, down in the States, the GMs play chess. They play flat, one-dimensional chess. The GMs and personal staff and the coaches and the owners and the presidents in the CFL manage three-dimensional chess. It's stacked. There are multiple things going on at the same time, just as you said. So if we take that top chessboard and that stack of three and I move a knight on that chessboard, how does that affect the next move below and the one below that? And that's the type of thing that on a daily basis, every GM, every scout, every president, every GM, every owner, every coach is dealing with. You know, I can't just walk in as a coach and say, Fred Smith is the best linebacker we have. He plays. I have to look at every other level of the organization to see how that move fits. And it's that ability to have the intuition, that ability to have the foresight to understand that if I make one move, it's going to impact everything below, below above, below, and horizontally, vertically from that point. And I think that's that's the difference. You know, uh, the guys that I see that have had personal experience down south, and then when they come to our league, they're at a disadvantage because they've looked at it singularly. And where a personnel person in the CFL has to look at everything on this vast plane of very, you know, it's it's not one plane. There's multiple planes simultaneously they have to look at it. And that takes a gift. It takes a concentration, an understanding, a domino effect that, that few executives, you talk about just in sport, Donovan, very few people operate in an environment as complex as what executives do in the CFL. And that's why I think that uh, I am, you know, when we got done the other day, I was, I was happy with our draft, but I was so proud to be a part of a group that were able to develop stri- different strategies, intricate strategies, not only based on who was the best global player or who fit, but they had to fit their strategy, how they're building their roster, where it fits in their cap, how they fit in their community. All those things become very, very important. And uh, so I think the GMs, the executives in the CFL, the coaches in the CFL are unlike any others in the world because they work in such such an extra, just an overlaid environment that is so different than any other, any other challenge in the world. And uh, that's what makes the CFL game so exciting. It's like no other. And uh, it's what I'm very proud to be a part of. And 
I just can't wait because now we've added another layer. And that complexity makes this game so unique. You know, it's funny you say that because when you look at the track record, there is a better track record of CFL, you name it, executives, coaches, transitioning and having success in the NFL than the opposite. And NFL executives or coaches transitioning and having success in the CFL, there are you know, some unicorns, Mark Tressman being a, an example, but for the most part, uh, you know, executives and, and evaluators and coaches have had more success going the other way than, than we've had Americans uh, coming into the CFL game. One factor that impacts, uh, you know, both games and really sports across the board in terms of your evaluation is COVID. And it's now over a year that that has been the case. How has that impacted the way that you gather uh, and evaluate uh, players and, and assess and gather information as you get ready for not just the global draft, but obviously, you know, the CFL, uh, you know, entry draft? Yeah, it's so true on, <coughs> excuse me, all three levels, the American, the national and the global, because uh, we're dealing in a virtual world right now. And there's also a level of trust and integrity out there. You know, we're going through, we've just had our virtual combines, both the global and the national. There has to be such a trust, professional trust in the coaches and trainers and strength coaches that are helping these players operate and record these virtual combines. When we're dealing with the players, uh, whether they're youth sport or NCA or US college players, dealing with their coaches and their personnel staff to get the most up-to-date, accurate information. There's a lot of trust. So the one of the exciting things for me is I've always felt that, that football is special in the integrity and also in the personal, uh, the professional exchange of information. And that's what's happening right now is there's a level of integrity in the professional exchange of information. So we're having to collect all this virtually. And how what we're doing is we're learning to use even AI and you know technology to our advantage. And I think it's it's not only in the evaluation, we're developing expertise now in the evaluation uh, virtually, but we're gonna also be using those same skills as we start to develop our players. So I think we're developing new skills in the development of players that's gonna help us take the game of football to the next level. One of the great things, Donovan, that's come out of COVID is that almost every night of the week, seven days a week, there's a clinic online. There's exchange of great intellectual information about coaching, not only strategy and tactics and training uh, is out there every single night of the week. So the opportunity to grow professionally and to grow the game has been expanded. So to me, I think we can look at COVID as a time of restriction, or we can look at it as a time that we had the opportunity to grow. We're developing new skills. They're going to help in the assessment and development of players in the future. And we've grown the game. We've grown at the grassroots level. You know, we've spoken many, many times with, with high school and youth coaches and junior coaches and college coaches to help develop the game so that the development of players, so the players we get in the CFL five years from now are going to be better trained and better prepared than the ones today. 
and that's exciting. It is very exciting, and I'm really excited about this upcoming draft. I mean, I always love to see a new crop of Canadians come into the league, but I'm not really sure how to perceive it because you have a couple things that are obviously somewhat outliers. You have some players in it who who didn't play a year ago, whether they they set out the year because of COVID concerns or if they are CIS players, there was no season. Um, And you have players who would have been in this draft who have chosen to opt out because of the uncertainty of what the world has been over the last year. Because of those two factors, how are you viewing this upcoming draft? Are you as bullish and as excited about it as you were the global draft? Yeah, I am. But there, as you said, it's a, it's a whole new world, right? We had a draft in 2020 that hasn't hit the field yet. And now we're coming with another draft. So actually, when we go to training camp, there's going to be the possibility of those two classes stacked, right? It also creates a situation where they were granted additional eligibility. So you wonder how are these players going to react those that may not make the squad will as many accept a practice roster uh, position. So there's some intangibles out there that affect it. Um, I think there's some wonderful talent. What, 458 eligible players for the national draft? Doggone, there's got to be some players there, Donovan. You know, and I, I know there are. I've seen them. We've talked to them. Uh, again, I think the, the interview and our evaluation of their intrinsics uh, the, the non-tangible factors of being an athlete, being a professional athlete, um, is an interesting process. So we're having to be better at being psychologists and asking questions that allow us to really delve into who these people are as football players because we can't, we can't miss uh, going in because the other part is we're unsure of what our preparation time is going to be in the season. So is a guy a good, you know, does he process well? Does he have a good football IQ, a good football acumen, as well as his abilities? Those are all interesting questions, but there's so many unknowns, Donovan, so many unknowns. Uh, but I think there's a great group. Yeah, there's some good players. Uh, not only some good players, there's some elite players. I think there's gonna there's a chance, I think, in this class of some changing of the guard. There's some players, uh, some Canadian talent that are in the latter stages of their career and are pushed even further back because of the COVID. Uh, And some of these new players are going to become very exciting uh, people within the CFL and they're going to contribute strongly to the success of their team. So, yeah, I'm excited about the content in this year's draft. And I think not only are there going to be some people we know about that have shown great abilities, but these guys have been training now for a year and a half behind a curtain. So when they come out from behind that curtain, whenever we start training camp, it could be pretty exciting. Yeah, it really could. And you mentioned the uncertainty about training camp and what that might look like and the way the world might be and if it's a truncated camp or when it might happen. There's a unique situation. The double cohort that you mentioned in terms of the two draft classes and now a very talented uh, global draft class. But you also have veterans who haven't been playing football for 
over a year who maybe would be getting some camp reps and, and, and taking a rest and as they assimilate into the season. Now they're going to have to work some of that rust off and teams are going to have to really hit the ground running with so many new coaches and new staffs implementing systems or, or reminding their, their players about what the systems are. What do you think the the planning and the process around how you attack training camp is going to be to make sure you start the season flying? Well, I think you hit it on the head. I, we're, we're uncertain about the level of uh, fitness of all the players that will be coming in, especially being football ready. So I really believe that load, you know, what kind of practice load and how we monitor that load is going to be very important. So our strength coaches, our training staff, our the medical staff in general are going to be very important uh, because we're going to need to know right away when they think that the load has been reached and we need to pull back or we haven't pushed the envelope and we need to increase the load. That's going to be really important. Um, so we're really being challenged as coaches to be very thoughtful, to be forward thinking, to be innovative in our practice schedules, how we practice, what drills we do, how we do the drills, uh, how we meet. We need to maximize every single minute, but we need to, we're gonna have to monitor where we're at and what the load on those players are and make sure it's adequate for optimal growth during that time. So we're at the best place. And the teams that are the most innovative in that regard and are the most forward thinking in that regard, are going to have the greatest opportunity, especially early in the season, to get a jump. And lastly, I want to talk about your team, the Alouettes, and the outlook for them in 2021. I mean, obviously the pause uh, and, and the missing of the season in 2020 impacted all teams at all fan bases around the league. And I was really sad for the Bombers not being able to defend their championship and, you know, hoist a, a banner. But... I'm going to be honest, I was really sad for Montreal and the Alouettes because that program was certainly ascending and then you infuse, you know, some new ownership and a, and a new front office staff with, with Danny Machocha and, and others. And I, I really felt like everything was moving in the right direction. And then you obviously can't really continue that momentum. What is the, the feeling within this, the organization, in the building, uh, you know, if and when you're allowed to be in the building and, and what is the outlook on, you know, what 2021 and beyond is for the Alouettes? Well, you know, you talk about hitting pause and when you hit pause, you know, you can, you can either, you're either getting better or you're getting worse. Right. And I think for the Alouettes, maybe more than any other club, it was a chance to move forward. Um, with the new leadership that you talked about, with the new ownership and Mario and Danny and Kahari and all those people coming together and developing their roles within that structure. And then the development of the coaching staff uh, and the roles within the coaching staff, you know, uh, with Barron as our new defensive coordinator, him putting his stamp on it and having time to develop and to teach and share that vision with the coaches uh, has been really, really important, you know. So I think this time has been good for Montreal. But the other thing it did is this. The players aren't in the building. They don't have coaches looking over their shoulder. So it was a time for somebody to step forward. Is it time for young people 
in our organization to become leaders. And, you know, you always look to your quarterback and what better example of somebody taking a negative and creating a positive than what Vern Adams has done. Uh, you got to be excited about that young man, regardless of how he throws, how he runs, how he does his cadence. He's exhibited a type of leadership by example that I think uh, very few have. So without that pause, do we develop the leadership in our organization? It's not just Vernon, there are other players as well. But would we have developed that leadership in our players? Because you can develop culture and Kahari and the coaches and Danny and Mario and everybody can provide leadership. But the real leadership has to happen within it. It has to be in that locker room. And I think this pause allowed that leadership to come forward. It forced it to come forward. So I, I think th there are exciting times on the horizon for the Alouettes. And I think COVID, though has given us a lot of challenges, also provided us an opportunity. And what I'm proud of, I think the Montreal Alouettes have maximized the opportunity in the COVID moment, rather than allowing themselves to be negatively, negatively affected. Well, we were all positively affected by the fact you maximized the opportunity uh, and, and came with such great insight and such enthusiasm to the conversation today. Thank you so much. You mentioned it about Vernon, uh, you know, leadership by example. Well, you have done that both at the CFL office and with the Alouettes and really been a great steward of the game in Canada. So thank you for all you're doing. Uh, keep it going and, and all the best this season and with the upcoming draft. Great. Thanks a lot, Donovan. You have a wonderful day, okay? You too. Thanks again to Coach Greg Quick. He is so animated about the sport, and I love his takes. And if you want more of his takes, you can give him a follow. Funny enough, his Twitter handle is at Coach Greg Quick. And there's a lot of reason to be excited about this class of players and that diversity that we, we talked about. 18 different countries represented among 36 global players who were selected in the draft. If you want more analysis on those players and their backstories, go to cfl.ca to see maybe what are the next countries outside of Canada that the Grey Cup is going to travel to. Speaking of the Grey Cup and its travels, the keeper of said cup, Chris O'Leary has a story, not just about him, but about his children's books. So go on to CFL.ca to check that out. Also, Brandon Banks is always breaking records. Well, he has his own record now. He's the first CFL player to release an NFT. I'm sure he will not be the last. I personally want to make sure I get in the running for the Nick Lewis NFT when that one is made. Hopefully, it's him hurdling someone. But go down to CFL.ca for all that content. And make sure you're following us on socials that's where you can get that content as well on instagram on twitter at cfl is the handle and leave us a note hit us up in the comments who do you want to hear from what do you want to hear about and what guests would you like on the show we appreciate that feedback so much until next time thanks for listening the waggle the official podcast of the canadian football league